Acts chapter 15. Sunday morning we're studying the book of Acts together and we come to chapter 15. If you're with us this morning and you don't have a Bible, men are coming up the aisles right now with Bibles and you just flag one of them and they'll get a Bible into your hand. It'll be marked right to our passage. Also, while we're turning to the passage, um, reminder that tonight on Sunday evenings we go through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. We begin a new book tonight, uh, the book of Jeremiah. And you might think, what in the world could Jeremiah have to say to me as the sophisticated Christian in the year 2016? He has a lot to say uh, to us, as you'll find out tonight. Each of you are invited to begin that study this evening. For our purposes this morning, we Acts chapter 15, verse 36. But after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us now go, now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they were doing. Now Barnabas was determined to take with them John called Mark, but Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And then the contention became so sharp that they parted from one another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God, and he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for the beauty, the commitment, the strength, the testimony to you that is in the whole body of Christ. Thank you, Lord, for the video that we've just seen, how it stirs our hearts and what it ministers to us. And we pray, Lord, that what that video has begun in our hearts, by your Holy Spirit, that it would continue until it has spoken the fullness of its message to each and every one of us. And as we turn to your word now, we thank you as always for your word. We thank you that it is going to outlive the heavens and the earth. It is going to have the final say in human history, but even more importantly, in our own lives individually. And we thank you, Lord, for these handful of verses and that somehow, as your word declares, that they are an important part of us being thoroughly furnished unto every good work as one of your representatives in this world. And we pray for the work of your Holy Spirit in this room now through your word to use this passage to accomplish just that this morning, and we ask all of it in Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Chapter 15 of the book of Acts is a record, really, of two conflicts that occurred in the early church, uh, the first on a church or a body of Christ level in terms of Christianity as a whole in that part of the world. And the second conflict has to do with the passage that we've just uh, read, and that is conflict that occurs on a personal level. And I think that Acts chapter 15, as a result, provides us with tremendous instruction because conflict and deep disagreements among Christians and within Christian ministry is going to occur on both levels, a body of Christ level and on an individual level until the end of the age. The context of this particular conflict between Paul and Barnabas is that 
On their first missionary journey, Paul and Barnabas had taken along a young man by the name of John Mark. They took him along as an assistant. It's recorded in chapter 13. John Mark was from the city of Jerusalem, and he was also a nephew of Bar Barnabas. When Barnabas and Paul and Mark make their way from Jerusalem uh, back to Antioch, Mark accompanies them. They went to, from Antioch to Jerusalem for the purpose of bringing an offering from the Gentile church in Antioch to the Christians in uh, Jerusalem who were undergoing hardship because of a famine. And this missionary journey that they, uh, when they started, the, uh, when they went on that first missionary journey and they had invited Mark to come along, this wasn't intended to be a sightseeing uh, tour for John Mark, part of his education or, uh, you know, his exposure to the world and so forth. He had been brought along in order to fulfill a, a tremendous uh, responsibility related to uh, Paul and Barnabas to carry a significant load for them. And so this role that he did have on that first missionary journey was one, again, of considerable responsibility. He probably had responsibility for much of the physical needs involved in a journey like that, covering hundreds of miles in order to make arrangements for lodging, to make arrangements for food and so forth. And in order to allow, as a result, Paul and Barnabas to focus on all of the spiritual aspects of the trip that they were on in that missionary journey. When it declares here that uh, he came along as their uh, assistant in terms of talking about it in the, uh, earlier in the narrative in the book of Acts, the word that's used for an assistant to describe um, John Mark is a word that is literally uh, translated under rower. When you had those great Roman boats that were part of the Roman fleet, you had rowers who rowed up on the top of the deck, and then you had rowers who rowed underneath the deck. It was always uh, much more preferable to be both of them slaves, uh, each of them servants. But if you had a choice, you would much rather be up in the fresh air and so forth of the upper deck and not be in the lower deck. And here is Paul, um, John Mark's position being described as being an under rower. And it speaks of taking the lowest position as a servant, doing the grunt work, the nitty-gritty uh, kind of stuff. And he did whatever it was that Paul and Barnabas needed him to do on a physical level in order that they might do what God had called them to do on a spiritual level. And the fact of the matter is, is this three men, as they left Antioch and they began that first missionary journey, both Paul and Barnabas, they needed John Mark. They were depending upon him for his help. And very early in that missionary journey, upon coming to a region known as Pamphylia, Mark departed from Paul and Barnabas, and he returned as a result to Jerusalem. And the Greek word that is used to describe Mark's departure intimates that he very decisively split away from Paul and Barnabas. And the word there in the Greek, it carries the idea of also communicating a decided lack of concern for what it was that he was leaving. He was leaving Paul and Barnabas, and he didn't care 
what kind of consequences Paul and Barnabas ultimately would have to bear as a result of it. Well, all of this was a very bitter blow to Paul and Barnabas. And when Paul spoke of Mark's abandonment there in uh, verse 38, he's very, very specific. And not wanting Paul, Barnabas or, or John Mark to come with them, he's very specific in his description, not only of the fact that John Mark had abandoned them, but where it had happened. He speaks of it specifically. It occurred in Pamphylia. He does not say that Mark abandoned us in Asia somewhere, or he abandoned us somewhere in the course of our first missionary journey, but rather he abandoned us in Pamphylia. And you might remember when we studied chapter 13 that I mentioned that Paul and Barnabas, when they came to the city of Perga in Pamphylia, that there's no mention of Paul or Barnabas preaching the gospel in Perga of Pamphylia. But instead, the narrative takes them moving very quickly out of that region and then directly to the city known as Antioch of Pisidia. And there, all of this has caused many Bible scholars to speculate that this might have occurred as a result of Paul's contracting of malaria, complete with all of its headaches that are described in the ancient world by travelers as like having a red-hot bar thrust through the forehead or like a dentist drill boring through a man's temple. And according to Roman history, that low-lying sea-level area of Perga, it was a hotbed for recurring uh, malaria. And the idea is that Paul and Barnabas make their way out of Perga. They make their way as a result to Antioch at an elevation of 3,600 feet above sea level in order to escape all of that and for Paul to shake off this malaria or whatever disease that he's picked up. And the biblical record is completely consistent with all of this. Paul would later write in his letter to the churches at Galatia, including uh, this church of Antioch and Pisidia, and he declared, you know that because of physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at the first. And my trial was that uh, which was in my flesh you did not despise or reject, but you received me as an angel of God, even as Jesus Christ. And what then was the blessing you enjoyed? For I bear you witness that if possible you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. And if Paul did indeed contract malaria or some other debilitating disease in Pamphylia, then Paul and Barnabas would have desperately needed John Mark's help at precisely the time that he abandoned them. It would have been the world's worst time to be abandoned uh, by John Mark. It would have been the ultimate expression and act of unfaithfulness in ministry to abandon the Apostle Paul at the time of his great need. And you can imagine how that news must have hit him as he's on some kind of a sick bed and the fevers and all of the things that go with it, and then now Barnabas breaks the news to them, to him that uh, John Mark has abandoned and gone back to uh, Jerusalem. I think all of us have been on a sick bed. We've all been sick of the flu when it's at its uh, deepest point or sick of worse. 
And all you can do is lie on that bed and you are completely dependent upon the other people in that household or friends to take care of you, to keep you hydrated, to look after you when you don't have an ounce of strength to care for yourself. You are completely vulnerable. I don't care if you're Atlas. I don't care if you're an Olympic uh, athlete. When you are in that place, uh, you are completely vulnerable and you have a strong uh, sense of, uh, of that. And, and here in the middle of all of this where you'd be so appreciative of any and all help, here this news comes to Paul. And to say nothing of what John Mark's abandonment uh, would mean to them, uh, consequential to the entirety of the rest of their first missionary uh, journey, all of the difficulties that Paul and Barnabas were yet uh, to endure, including his stoning in Lystra. We aren't told why Mark abandoned them. It might have been out of fear for his uh, physical safety, and he seemed to have picked up very, very early what anyone would on that missionary journey, and that is for every single person that was open to the gospel and became Christians, there were two that were eager to stone or to kill uh, these messengers of the gospel. It could be that Mark was unsettled with the spiritual warfare uh, that he was encountering on this particular trip. You know, before they came into Pamphylia, they had been on the island of Cyprus. And you remember uh, there was the conversion there of the Roman council who was uh, there in Cyprus and uh, by the name of... Uh, uh, slips my mind at the moment, but the man that is there, uh, Sergio Paulus, and Sergio Paulus, as he's hearing the gospel of, uh, uh, from the Apostle Paul, Eliamus, a man also known as Bar-Jesus, is opposing the message of the gospel, and this man is uh, possessed in, in, with a demonic realm. He's empowered by the demonic realm, and Paul turns to him and pronounces in what is a classic counter, pa a power encounter in the book of Acts and renders this man blind for a, a, a season and, uh, and, and this great power encounter, maybe for the first time here, Mark sees it. And Mark wouldn't be the first one that went out on a missionary journey and for the first time saw this kind of dynamic between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness and being uh, unsettled by it. Every time somebody comes up to me and says, hey, Pastor Damien, I'm going for the first time on a short-term missions trip. I always tell them the same two things. You're, be prepared for spiritual warfare like you have never known it in your life. And make sure you do not get on that plane or in that van taking you where you're going with any known deliberate sin going on in your life because if that's there, the devil is going to ravage you on this trip. And it, all, it happens over and over and over again. It might very well be that because John Mark was a, a, a Jew from the more legalistic and conservative Jerusalem, that he had a problem with Paul's preaching uh, that the Gentiles could be saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and, 
uh, without being circumcised or without keeping the law of Moses. It could very well be that Mark was upset with a very significant change that occurred at that particular point in that first missionary uh, journey when uh, it, it was that the Holy Spirit uh, as he makes a team of Paul and Barnabas at that particular time in the biblical record, the apostle Paul now goes from being called Saul to now being called Paul. And additionally, they began the missionary journey as they began it being referred to as Barnabas and Paul. And now for the rest of the missionary journey, they are referred to as Paul and his party. And all of this is exactly as God wanted it to be. Paul was the apostle. This is what God had called him to do, uh, to lead. And so he takes that position. And Barnabas, to his credit, he recognized it. He was good with it, but perhaps Mark had a problem with it. We don't know for sure. But what we do know is that whatever the reason, John Mark should never have abandoned Barnabas and Paul in the very first missionary journey in the fulfillment of the most important work going on in the world, and that is the fulfillment of the Great Commission. And as a result of his abandonment, threatening the success of that journey, as a result, this wasn't backing out on helping a friend move to another apartment on a Saturday afternoon. This was a very, very big deal. Now, concerning the conflict between Paul and Barnabas uh, themselves, all that I've explained to you here now uh, uh, helps us to understand its necessary background to understand the conflict that now occurs between Paul and Barnabas in the passage that we read this morning. The Apostle Paul proposed to Barnabas that they return to the churches they had established on their first missionary journey in order to make sure they're doing okay. It had been two years at least since the end of the missionary journey, and Paul had this desire to go back and see how they were doing. It's important to realize that this was Paul's idea, and he realized that for the most part, each of these churches that had been established on that first missionary journey uh, those churches that had been established now in cities and environments that were very hostile to the message of the gospel. And there was a very serious threat of persecution to all Christians that Paul and Barnabas left behind in each and every one of those cities. And Paul's desire to return to those cities, I think, reflects very wonderfully upon his shepherd's heart and how spiritual a man he was. And I think there's an awful lot that's bound up in those four words you see in verse 36, where Paul declares, speaks of going back and visiting, going back and visiting. And when you think about and remember what Paul and Barnabas had faced on that first missionary journey, virtually continual persecution in most of the cities, and one of them, they were expelled. From another, a violent attempt was made to abuse them and stone them. In another city, Paul was stoned and left for dead at the outskirts of the city. And yet Paul, at this point in time, because of his love and his concern for the well-being of the Christians uh, in those cities, all of that was, uh, you, you know, uh, being the supreme concern within his heart, it dwarfed any thought of self-preservation in his mind. And Paul and Barnabas were told in verse 37, he agreed to do so. 
but he further demanded that they take John Mark, his nephew, with them once again in order to give John Mark a second chance. And we're told further that Barnabas was very determined concerning this demand that he was making of the Apostle Paul. And the word determined there in the Greek, it means determined, and it means resolved. He's dug in on this particular issue. And so we tend to think, I think, of Barnabas as being like this easygoing, laid-back uh, kind of guy, compliant and so forth, and we don't tend to think of him in this way. But this was a part of his personality as well. Well, notice in verse 38 that upon hearing this from Barnabas, Paul, notice the word, insisted that John Mark not accompany them, and he was equally dug in. And he insisted that this would uh, not be the case. And the word and the idea between the, uh, behind that insisted is he just didn't consider it to be a good idea. He didn't think it would be wise to do, and so he strongly resisted the idea. And Paul didn't just resist the idea or the proposition, but he gave his reason for uh, doing so. Because when push comes to shove in his mind, when the going gets super hard, and it always gets super hard in Christian service, he in essence is declaring that Paul cannot be trusted. He cannot be trusted to stand. He cannot be trusted to hold his place in the line. He can't be trusted to hold the flank in a spiritual warfare in the midst of battle. And in Paul's mind, Mark lacked a key trait required in Christian ministry. He lacked dependability. He lacked reliability. He lacked, in the, uh, he lacked uh, the, in the biblical term, faithfulness. And so here you have Paul's determined uh, meeting, or Barnabas's determined meeting Paul's insisted, and they're both dug in on the issue, verse 39. It's the spiritual equivalent of the old paradox, what happens when an irresistible force meets an immovable object. Well, there's no solution to that paradox, but we know what happened here. They contended over the issue, and the issue became a very sharp contention, and the Greek word that's used for contention there, it intimates that it was very strong, that what went on between Barnabas and Paul was heated. It was emotional, not in a carnal way, but in the sense that both of them held their convictions on the issue very, very deeply. And very strongly, there was exasperation on the part of each of them toward the other, and doubtless not being able to convince the other to see things their way. And all of this was so much so that they then parted from one another. And the word parted means to split. It means to separate. And Barnabas then took Mark, and he sailed to Cyprus to continue God's work. And then Paul chose Silas to accompany him on this, his second missionary journey. And Paul and Barnabas would never serve together again. Though they'd known each other for ten years, though they'd served side by side for six years, this is a uh, monumental event in the lives of both men. Now, let's observe uh, here a couple of considerations or lessons uh, from this particular incident before we close. Now, I happen to think that there's a tendency on the part of many people 
to look at an incident like this as it's recorded in Acts chapter 15 and then to have a diminished view of Paul or Barnabas by virtue of their contention, by virtue of their separa uh, separation, or to look at this particular incident and judgmentally think, why couldn't such spiritually mature men just put aside their difference and work this thing out? But to judge it that way is, in my mind, both simplistic and a great mistake. And unfortunately, I think that that mistake is repeated over and over again, even today, when people tend to judge some such divisions among God's leaders as they occur even today. What is going on here has nothing to do with John Mark supremely, nothing at all. What is in play here are two very powerful forces within both Paul and Barnabas. First and foremost, something called principle, and then second, something called personality. And when I speak of personality, I don't speak of carnal personality, but sanctified personality, God-given personality. Concerning Barnabas, he is on the basis of both personality and principle. He's an encourager. His very name speaks of it. His name uh, declares the son of encouragement, the son of consolation. By personality, he's the kind of man who's quick with a word of encouragement to someone. It fairly pours out of him. Concerning his principles, it was his firm conviction that you don't give up on anyone because they failed at some point in the course of their Christian ministries. And he always emphasized and encouraged people in the fact that God is the God of second chances. And the interesting thing is that Paul himself had been a recipient of this man's grace and of this man's encouragement. When Paul ultimately came to the city of Jerusalem after becoming saved and no one wanted to touch him with a ten-foot pole. The apostles didn't want to meet with him at all. It was Barnabas who believed the best about Paul when nobody could believe there was a best about him, and he did so at a time when Paul desperately needed it. And everything about Barnabas in the passage is perfectly in line with Scripture both in terms of principle and in terms of personality. And then concerning Paul, by personality, he is a very strong man. He's very focused man, a very determined man. He is not a handholder. You don't see it anywhere in the passages of the Bible. Concerning principles, he had a very deep concern for the work of God and that it be done well. And the sobriety and the awe with which he approached the work of God in the world. Think about it. The work of God in the world was impossible to overstate in terms of the sobriety with which he approached that. No work of God in his mind, no work involving the eternal destinies of men and women and children was ever to be risked by putting it in the hands of unfaithful people. He just simply could not do it and live with himself. And very, very late in his life, when martyrdom is right around the corner, 
he still possesses the same conviction as he revealed in his final letter to Timothy. And he stated to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.2, he said, And the things which I, you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these things to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And faithfulness in a servant of the Lord was simply a non-negotiable with him before any spiritual authority would be given uh, to any person, any spiritual responsibility. And as with Barnabas, both Paul's personality and his principles are completely in line with the Scriptures. I don't think it's unfair to either of these men to observe that both men were right in their own way, according to their own principles and according to their own God-given personalities. In other words, to observe that, Paul was all about the work, and Barnabas, or Paul was right about the work, and Barnabas was right about the person. Someone has put it this way. Paul looked at people and he asked, what can they do for God's work? While Barnabas looked at people and asked, what can God's work do for them? It's very good, isn't it? I'll repeat it. Paul looked at people and asked, what can they do for God's work? That's one personality. While Barnabas looked at people and asked, what can God's work do for them? That's a different personality. And I don't think it's unfair at all. I think it's an outstanding observation concerning both of these men. And the fact of the matter is it takes both kinds of people in the body of Christ to advance God's kingdom, each of them in their own place. And sometimes these two kinds of people are not going to see eye to eye on every issue. And it's very important to realize that what is going on here between Paul and Barnabas has nothing to do with sin. Most divisions occur because of sin. This is not, that's a completely different sermon on a completely different text. That's not what we're talking about here in this passage. Again, very important to realize that what is going on here between Paul and Barnabas is not due to sin. Here we have a disagreement on the basis of deep, deep personal convictions with each one's convictions fully supported by the Scriptures. Now, I am hesitant to do with these two and other servants that are mentioned in the Bible and to do even to servants, God's servants today, what many people do and that is to judge and condemn uh, another person's biblical convictions or their God-given personality. And here's what I mean by that. So often we can look at a servant of the Lord, and especially a leader, and judge them, and then conclude that if only they didn't emphasize such and such so much, they would be better, or their ministry would be more effective. Or if only their personality was a little more of this and a little less uh, of that, or vice versa, 
their ministry would be more powerful and would be more effective. But I think after 30-some years as a pastor, I think more often than not, our observations and thoughts, even mine, about how to improve God's servants and the way that we form them within our mind would do far more harm than good if our wishes were granted. You see, you better not change Paul's convictions or his God-given personality because it was his firmly held convictions and his God-given personality that allowed him to blaze a trail and endure the hardship that he did in the course of his three missionary journeys. And it would be disastrous to change the convictions and the sanctified personality of Barnabas because those are the things that made his life so fruitful for the kingdom of God as well. And so it is with pastors and leaders today So often the thing that we think within our minds that we would change in their lives, if it were to happen, it would make it impossible for them to survive in their calling. Men and women that God calls to lead in His work must be strong, and certainly strong in their convictions and very often strong in their personalities in order to survive, to say nothing of then being able to lead. Now, very often in teaching on this passage, I hear it said that Paul was wrong in being so firm here and that ultimately he grew and matured uh, spiritually and later he repented and that his later reconciliation with John Mark uh, proves it. And I think that's a very superficial handling of the passage. It is true that late in Paul's life, he did have a reconciliation with John Mark. And he speaks of it when he wrote to Timothy, again in 2 Timothy 4.11. Only Luke is with me, he said. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. And so a reconciliation did occur, but not because Paul had been wrong here in Acts chapter 15. I agree wholeheartedly with the observation that someone has made concerning our text here in Acts chapter 15, that Paul's decision was the right decision at the time, but not for all time. It was the right decision at the time, but not for all time. How many decisions do we make in life that are right decision at the time, but they are not the right decision for all time because things will change in the circumstances around uh, the situation that we're dealing with. I'm inclined to believe that Mark grew mightily in his faithfulness and in his spiritual maturity under Barnabas. And we know ultimately he was handed off from Barnabas to the apostle uh, Peter, and that when he was introduced then to Paul, he's a completely different man. And by the way, this is the same Mark who the Holy Spirit used to author our second gospel. 
I'm hesitant to put any blame here on the Apostle Paul for two simple reasons that are found in our text. First, and I think it's very significant, that when Paul and Silas went out on their missionary journey, they went out with the blessing, verse 40, of the brethren at the church in Antioch. And there is no similar mention of the same commendation of the missionary journey of Barnabas and Mark. Additionally, there certainly is, I think, a tacit endorsement of the Holy Spirit here concerning Paul in that the remaining 13 chapters of the book of Acts follow the ministry of the Apostle Paul while Barnabas is never mentioned again. Now, we must not leave this passage without observing that perhaps the greatest lesson of all uh, that is here is that ultimately when good and godly people contend and separate on the basis of sincerely held convictions, both of which are supported fully by Scripture, and separate on the basis of God-given personality, that God will overwhelm the whole thing and work it together for good. And then the end, of course, in this entire uh, contention and separation that occurred here, God did exactly that. He ends up with two missionary journeys, both of which He blessed. And we must never underestimate the grace of God that is in play in situations like this. It fascinates me that the Holy Spirit saw fit to record this event, not merely for leaders in the church, though it speaks a great deal to us. He didn't relegate this particular incident to the pastoral epistles. He didn't relegate it to First and Second Timothy or to Titus. But he put it in the book of Acts. It's written as instruction to all of us as Christians, whether we're called to leadership or not, so that each of us might understand that when such things happen in the body of Christ as a whole, or even within a local church today, a contention, a separation, that sometimes there is not right or wrong to discover behind it. But instead, only the deeply held convictions and principles and God-given personality of godly and deeply spiritual men and women. And then as an individual Christian, in knowing that, to then remain steady and calm in the midst of it, as the church of Antioch did, knowing that God has the grace to overwhelm it all and to work it together for good and not only has the power to do so, but that He will do so. Lest we make far more of the situation than it actually is and then as a result to make the situation far worse than it needs to be. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Let's stand together. If you're here today and you are not yet a Christian, there are going to be pastors and other men and women up in front immediately after the service, and we would love to pray with you to begin a personal relationship with God this morning. And He will be your Lord, and He will be your God, and, and He will, will love you and care for you and be faithful to you. And in that relationship, if you make Him your heavenly Father, He'll do that today. He'll do it all the way through eternity, and He will be all of that in your life today and tomorrow and on election day and the day after election day, no matter what you face in life, in all sincerity. God wants to forgive you of your sins and bring you into the relationship that you have been created for, and that relationship is with Him. We would love to pray with you after the service up front if you desire to do so. If you need prayer for anything in your life, we'd love to pray for that need as well. Brent, would you close?